together in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let us pray. Almighty God, we do praise you that through your only Son, you overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Be present with us now, we pray. Grant that we who celebrate our Lord's resurrection may, through the renewing power of your Spirit, arise from the death of sin to the life of righteousness. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 271, Sing Choirs of New Jerusalem.
Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us rejoice by putting away all malice and evil and confessing our sin with a sincere and true heart. Let us pray together the prayer printed in the bulletin. Almighty God, our Maker and Redeemer, once we were far off from you, having no hope and cut off from you in the world, but now Jesus Christ has brought us near to you, reconciling us to you. We poor sinners confess that we have been sinful and unclean, and that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. Therefore, we flee for refuge to your boundless mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. O most merciful God, since you have given your only begotten Son to die for us, have mercy on us, and for his sake grant us forgiveness of all our sins, and by your Holy Spirit increase in us true knowledge of you and of your will, and true obedience to your word, to the end that by your grace we may come to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that all those who have faith in him and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel. Let us say together, praise be to God. Beloved people of God, the apostolic teaching to the church includes this line, be abounding in thanksgiving. The people of Israel were frequently reminded of the goodness of God, all that he had done for them. They had been given plenty to eat. Even when they had doubted and lost their confidence and faith in God, he continued to to provide for them. Their sin was judged, their unbelief, but at the same time God did provide for them, like with the manna in the wilderness. They had good houses to live in. They ended up with prolific herds and flocks. They had a multiplication of silver and gold. There's that great line in the story of Exodus where they come out of Egypt and the uh, Egyptians give them all their gold and you know, their treasures uh, when they come out. Um, Augustine called that plundering the Egyptians, um, that, that they were able to walk out with this, these great um, blessings that they received. The Lord our God continues to show us fatherly care and goodness to us. It wasn't just with Israel, but also with us. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, he knows how to give good gifts. Every day at our meals and throughout the day, let us thank our Heavenly Father, for his goodness to us. It's tempting to dwell on our problems, and we have all kinds of problems today that that seem to be popping up in our society, and so we can get caught up with those and dwell on them, but it's important for us to stop every day, and a meal is a good time to do it, and to give thanks to God for his goodness and what he's provided for us. So it is tempting to dwell on our problems on what we lack, on what we are afraid we're going to lose, We may even become anxious for what we have and what we don't have. We may be anxious either way. 
Remember the goodness of God, his goodness witnessed in Israel, and his goodness witnessed by the first disciples of Jesus Christ, and his goodness to you. Remember this and give him thanks for it. When you remember your father's goodness to you and are always thankful, then you'll not miss what you don't have. If we dwell in what we don't have and become unthank, you know, just forget to be thankful, then we, we, that gets lost for us and we don't give thanks to God anymore. We're too busy thinking about what we don't have or what we want or what we might lose. Instead, dwell in what he has, on his goodness, what he has given to you, and be thankful for it. Remember the goodness of God to you and show forth your thankfulness in your lives by giving yourselves up to his service in gratitude. For this is the will of God for us in Jesus Christ. And let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 493, We Have Not Known Thee As We Ought.
Let us join together in prayer for those in need. Let us pray. O living and true God, our Heavenly Father, you are not a force, a power, an idea. You're not created like we are. You are our creator and the one who gives us our life. In you we live and move and have our being. And not only this, but you give us life in Christ. You've made us alive in him, and we thank you for that new life a restored life with you, a life of pardon and righteousness, a life of your loving care and protection. As you have raised us up in Christ by your Spirit, keep us alive so that your whole church forever shall cry out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb, and that we would sing along with that host of heaven, Blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might, Be to you, our God, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty God, we pray for those who govern us and make laws for this nation. May they have wisdom of your moral order and may careful moral reasoning inform their work. Restrain their power and any bad decisions they make, we pray, would come to naught. And may sin and wickedness and injustice be kept from growing and running rampant in our society. May there be wise policies to stop the destruction of what is good. Hear now our prayers for Joe Biden, our president, for Gary Peters, Debbie Stabenow, our senators, Gretchen Whitmer, our governor, and our other leaders. Hear our prayers. We pray you would restrain the arm of those governments and rulers of this world that are ruthless to those under them, such as China and North Korea and now Russia's attack on Ukraine. Stop the work of terrorism. Root out the drug violence in Latin America and in the United States. We pray you would put an end to human trafficking and the brutal attacks on people traveling to the border of the United States. Also, send help to those who have suffered from storms um, in the last few weeks. Hear our prayers for the trouble in this world. Bless the church in this world as it lives according to Christ. Keep us all in the firm grasp of your grace and protect us from pride and idolatry. In gracious humility, may we see our own faults and trust the work of your spirit in other churches. We pray for the administration of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, for John Shaw, for Hank Belfield, the stated clerk of the General Assembly, and also for Vern Picknally 
our moderator, the moderator of our presbytery. We pray you would give them grace to be able to assist the church. Bless the ministers in our presbytery, Doug Felch, Rod Tully, Mick Kinnearum. Prosper these men and the churches where they serve to grow in the faith and love of Christ. Here are our prayers for these and others who come to mind. We lift our prayers to you for the missions of the church as our Lord Jesus Christ did stretch out his arms of love on the hard wood of the cross in order to give himself in exchange for us and take the penalty of our sin upon himself. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may offer the gospel with true knowledge and love to those who do not know you. Bless and protect our missionaries, Ben Hop, Octavius Delphils in Haiti, Mark Richline in Uruguay, along with their families, and we pray you'd bless those churches to bring the gospel into those, in those societies. Bring more and more people to hear your word, and we ask that additional men would be trained and ordained to serve your church in Latin America. Here are our prayers for the mission of the church. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you shepherd Providence Church, answering our prayers, holding us together, teaching us the faith and life of Jesus Christ. We pray for those with needs of body and soul and ask that you would give health and aid to Julie, Michael, Luca, Frida, Eduardo, Jeff, and Fawn, and our friends Becky, Phil, Tom, Bob, Chris, Angie, Karen, Gladys, Caroline, Dominique, and others we name to you in silence. Deliver each one of us from temptation, and we pray you give grace and peace for those who are having difficulties in their households. Gracious Father, hear our prayers as we make them to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
We pray now for the reading and preaching of God's word that the spirit of God would illumine our hearts to receive the gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we depend on you to open our eyes that we might indeed behold wonderful things in your word that this good news would fire our imaginations, guide our imaginations and our affections um, so that we would glory in you and love you and our neighbor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our reading begins in Isaiah chapter 38. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you will die, you will not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness, 
I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning like a lion. He breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I, will, I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you, as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. And now our Psalter response in the bulletin. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, you have brought you have brought up my soul from Sheol. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain's hand stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it, Will it tell of your faithfulness? You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Our epistle reading is in First Corinthians chapter fifteen.
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. And next, our gospel reading from Matthew. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, my daughter, take heart, daughter, for your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, He went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. The word of the Lord. We all have our stories about being delivered from danger. So here's one of mine. When I was 12 years old, I was riding my bike with some friends. We were on the sidewalk passing in front of the parking lot of a 7-Eleven store. I was following the others when all of a sudden my bike ran into into some sand and slipped out from under me. I went down and slid across the asphalt. It just so happened that at the same time, a car was leaving the parking lot and was coming toward me. After I came to rest, I found myself staring, literally staring, at a car tire only a couple of feet from my head. The car had stopped, but I knew that it could have been a very serious accident. I jumped up, I grabbed my bike, and I rode away with my friends. But I said a little prayer of thanksgiving to God that day for rescuing me, and I've never forgotten it. Psalm 30 is a psalm of thanksgiving for deliverance. 
It begins and ends with this thanksgiving. So verse 1 says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. And verse 12 says, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. It's one of those bookends, you might say, on the psalm, uh, talking about uh, giving thanksgiving to God. The psalm gives a basic report in verses 2 and 3. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. There are many connections in this psalm with Hezekiah's prayer in the book of Isaiah. That's why it was our Old Testament lesson. Uh, Hezekiah prayed, um, and, and the whole story there with Isaiah coming, the prophet coming to him, telling him he's going to die. And then in the middle of all that, um, is that is that prayer of Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was sick. The prophet Isaiah came, told him to set his house in order because he was going to die. Hezekiah cried out to God to remember him, and the Lord added 15 years to his life. After he recovered, he praised God and thanked God for healing him. And Hezekiah's psalm of thanksgiving, because that's what it is in that story in Isaiah chapter 38, Hezekiah's psalm of thanksgiving is included in that story. And it's very much like Psalm 30. There are a lot of things that that are similar in uh, Hezekiah's prayer with Psalm 30. It tells of his sickness. And just like Psalm 30, it speaks of the danger of death and going down to Sheol, where God cannot be praised and there is no hope. And like Psalm 30, it gives thanks to God for saving him. It's not the exact same kind of psalm or prayer, but it has those similar, those sort of uh, commonalities to it. But Psalm 30 is not a private prayer or private psalm for Hezekiah and the psalmist who were delivered. If it was, it wouldn't end up in the Bible, right? Because it would just be their own private. You probably have some prayers or something you've written uh, at some point in your life that's a way of expressing something that happened to you, and the rest of us don't know it because it's private, it's yours. But this is not what these are. These are not just private psalms and prayers. Psalm 30 calls for all of Israel to give thanks to God. Not just individuals, but the whole Nation, the whole community of the people of God. Verse 4 says, Sing praise to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. God delivered his people many times. So do you remember the story of Abraham and the five kings? It's in Genesis. The kings had joined together. They began to conquer the cities around where Abraham and Lot lived. They kidnapped Lot and his household. And there was one man who escaped and told Abraham. What did Abraham do? Well, he mustered his men, and he pursued the five kings. He chased them away, and he took back Lot and his people. Now, we might think Abraham was a strong fighter. He was a mighty man who could go back and actually take on five kings and get back what was taken from him. But that's not what Abraham does. He doesn't draw attention to himself. He doesn't flatter himself like this. He brought an offering for God after the battle, after he reclaimed Lot and his uh, people, and he gave this offering to Melchizedek, who blessed God, saying, Blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. God delivered Abraham and his kinsmen, and Abraham thanked God. He didn't take the credit for himself. He didn't marvel in his own resourcefulness and strength. He gave thanks to God by giving that offering to Melchizedek to be offered to God. 
There are other stories in the Bible about God rescuing individuals who were in danger. But God did not just deliver individuals. He also delivered the whole people together. For example, he delivered Israel from Egypt. The people were being held under that oppressive hand of Pharaoh. They had become slaves. Hard labor was demanded of them. And they were even being pushed toward death when Pharaoh decreed the killing of all the male infants. And then God called Moses and delivered Israel from that danger. The Jewish Talmud, which are writings, Jewish writings uh, written um, when, uh, when the Jews were in exile in Babylon. And it indicates in the Talmud, it indicates that Psalm 30 was used for the dedication of the second temple. The first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. They were carried away into exile. And then later on, when the second temple was built, The Talmud says Psalm 30 was used for that dedication ceremony. The heading for the psalm, if you'll notice, makes it it clear that it was a psalm for a dedication ceremony. It doesn't specifically say a second temple, the first temple, probably was the first temple, but it is for the dedication of the temple. So that even marks off the psalm. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints. Give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favors for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. This is the sentiment in the psalm when the temple is being dedicated. Later, about 200 years before Jesus was born, Judas Maccabeus led the Jewish revolt against the Seleucids, who ruled over Judah. Judah had become now under the power of this Greek uh, uh, Greek, this Greek ruler, and they tried to force the Jews into Hellenism. In other words, they wanted to make the Jews accept Greek culture and religion. And the Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes went so far as to profane the temple in Jerusalem with an altar to Zeus. He set up at the altar in the temple of the Jews in Jerusalem, he set up an altar to Zeus and even sacrificed a pig on it to make it clear that you're now going to worship my gods, not your god. Judas and his followers fought against the army of Antiochus, and they finally prevailed. They took control of Jerusalem and the temple. Judas rededicated the temple, and the Jews celebrated God, delivering them from the hands of the Greeks. And guess what psalm they used when they did that? They used Psalm 30. During the rededication, they use Psalm 30 because it gives praise for God's deliverance. You see, deliverance is happening not just on an individual level, but on a large communal level. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. That became the praise of the peoples together at various times in the life of the Jews, including this time when Judas Maccabeus defeated Antiochus Epiphanes. The psalm teaches us that it is foolish to think that you do not need to be delivered. Verse 6 says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. The psalmist speaks of a time when he was doing well. His life was untroubled, relatively few troubles. God had blessed his life. We might say he was at the top of his game. There are those times when our lives are successful. For most people, there are times when things are going really well. Our job is clicking. We have enough money. Our life is expanding. Friendships are growing. So to use the words of the psalm, we have prospered. The foolish part is to base your confidence on your success. We look at our lives and we think we can build a secure, successful life and we can keep it that way. 
There are plenty of advertisements that assure us of this kind of success. Just invest in us and we will make your money grow. Buy our insurance and we'll take care of all your needs. It's interesting how more and more different kinds of insurance you have to have to make sure all your needs are cared for. And if you're really smart, you bundle them all together and get reduced rates, right? Get the right degree, you'll have a rewarding career. These are all lines that we hear, uh, advertisements that assure us that we can have success. The psalmist interpreted his prosperity as the favor of God. He's, 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 a, he's one of the followers of God. So he interprets his prosperity as the favor of God. It's an age-old way of reading life. When things go well, then I'm being blessed by God. When things go bad, I'm being cursed by God. I'm doing well, therefore... If, if, if we look at it as I'm doing well and God's favor is upon me, then I don't need to be delivered. You see, I'm at this point now where I don't need to be delivered because God's favor is on me, so now I'm prospering and I'll just do well. And we do that too, don't we? We've interpreted what is happening in our lives as a sign of God's favor or disfavor because we're Christians. So we automatically include God in how we understand the things that are happening to us. But you see, you can make mistakes by doing that. Just like the psalmist did when he believed that he was free from danger. God had prospered him so he need not be concerned about having enemies and the threat of death. That's how he interpreted the things going well in his life. That means I don't have to fear Enemies, I don't have to worry about the threat of death or any of that. And that's just foolish. Success does not remove the danger from you. The pit is still there, and so are the enemies. Your life does not depend on money, a happy family, a good job, or insurance. None of these things can deliver you if you go down into the pit of death. The foolishness is to think that we don't need to be delivered. Things are going well in my life. I don't need to be delivered. Thank God things are going well in your life, but yes, you still need to be delivered. God has delivered each of you individually from danger. So I shared my story at the beginning about God delivering me from danger, and that may have triggered some personal memories for you. And I haven't given you a lot of time to think about those memories, but maybe some thoughts came to your mind about times God has delivered you. Each one of us has been in some kind of danger, and God has come to our aid. Whether we recognize it or not, he's come to our aid. And I've heard some of your stories. One of you got caught in the middle of a police chase on a freeway overpass over here, Southfield Freeway, that that, uh, mixing bowl over there. The police stopped the car of a robbery suspect. They pulled their guns. It was like a major standoff right there on the freeway. They had pulled their guns out. The person from our church, they ran over, pulled her out, made her lay down on the street behind her car until it was all over. She's thankful to God for delivering her. It's very dramatic, isn't it? You each have your stories, and we can tell them just like the psalm does. God delivers us from real danger. The psalm puts it in terms of Sheol and death. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored uh, restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. You see, the psalm is not talking about inconsequential deliverance. I hope your thoughts go to those significant times in your life when you've been delivered. Not those times like being, wanting to be delivered from a boring party or having to speak in front of an assembly. Yeah, I don't like those moments either, but those are small things. And the psalm is talking about great things. 
The psalm is talking about deliverance from that which would be the end of our life. The psalm sees the realm of death as a present threat to us who live in this world. It's like a chasm into which we can fall at any moment. The dark, gaping hole of death is close by, and we can be pulled into it so easily. It's not necessarily a fast drop into that pit. Slowly caught in its pull, we can descend into the depths of the realm of death dropping down step by step away from the land of the living into the darkness of Sheol, down, down, down into the ever-increasing darkness. The psalm says that in this pit there is terrifying silence. Verse 9 says, What profit is there in my death, death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you, O God? Will it tell of your faithfulness? And it assumes the answer, no. It's silent. There's no joy or gladness found there. There is no recounting of the wonderful acts of God's goodness and salvation. Nothing is heard. In death, life is lost. Psalm 30 associates it with the enemies. Death is one of those foes that would have uh, rejoiced over the psalmist if God had not drawn him up. Death would have rejoiced that it had defeated and consumed the psalmist, and accept that God had drawn him up. God has delivered us from the danger of death, and so as we think about the things he's delivered us from, here is the greatest thing. Here is one of the worst things that could happen to us. In the words of the psalm, God has delivered us. He has drawn us up. But how does God draw us up? He does more than stand from afar and call out directions to us. Don't step on that. It might kill you. Don't go over there. You might fall down and die. Don't do that. It will hurt you. God's deliverance for us is more than giving us exits, like from a burning, burning building. God does more than point us to the doors out of the building so we can escape. And neither does he come into our world to deflect danger from us like a hero who stands between us and a car that's speeding toward us. God comes into this world and he stands with us. It's like a man who dives into the ocean to save someone who is caught in a riptide and is being pulled out to sea where he will drown. God jumps in, except God takes on the riptide and he rips it. God rips the riptide. I'm thinking of that because I just came back from Florida. God jumps into our sinful world and delivers us by defeating the powers of sin and death. He delivers us by taking on the powers that dominate us like death, and that's how he draws us up. Scripture's full of stories of God coming into the world to deliver his people by defeating the powers that dominate them. The exodus of Israel from Egypt's one such story. God entered the land of Egypt. He attacked the tyrant of Egypt with plagues and his angel of death. Miriam's song of victory gives thanks to God with these words, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The return of the Jews from captivity in Babylon and Persia is another time that God delivered his people from the powers that dominated them. Isaiah speaks of the Lord releasing the people and walking in front of them back to the land of Judah. The Lord goes forth like a mighty man. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. And he says, 
I will lead the blind in a way that they know not, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. God does not stand afar to deliver us. He jumps right into this world, and he delivers us uh, according to his way. There are many ways that God delivers us in this life, but God's greatest act of deliverance for us is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul, in our epistle lesson, speaks of the enemy death in 1 Corinthians 15. The children of Adam have all come under the power of death. We all sinned against God, and he has judged our sin. And death is the consequence for sin. It doesn't just have biological meaning. That's what you're going to hear in our society because we're so scientific about everything. Yes, it has biological realities to it. It also has theological meaning. Death is, a, is something that is, is meaning theologically, not just biologically. Death is the result of turning away from God, of disobeying his law and living immoral lives contrary to God's way of life for us, which is a description of the whole human race. And this is our great enemy, death. It's the pit that we can't climb out of. God, in his grace and mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sin. Jesus did this by going to the cross and bearing the cost and penalty for our sin. And that's not all. God raised him from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection delivers us from death. The Apostle Paul writes, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus is the first one who is raised into the new life of God, freed from the power of death. And all those who have faith in Jesus Christ shall be raised into the new life where death is no more. When Christ returns, we will be raised and death will be destroyed. This is all that the apostle teaches the church. In Christ, we are delivered from our great foe. So we sing during communion, and we will today, Mighty victim from the sky, powers of hell beneath thee lie. Death is conquered in the fight. Thou hast brought us life and light. God's greatest act of our deliverance for us is to deliver us from sin and the judgment of death. Each of us has experienced many acts of deliverance in our lives, and some of these were life and death situations. And if we truly understand what happened, we are humbled and amazed by what God did for us, like the psalmist. But there's something more about these acts of deliverance in our lives. Think of them as signs pointing you to something far greater. So you've been delivered, and that um, is a sign of something greater, of the greater deliverance that God gives us. They point to God's great deliverance, act of deliverance in Jesus Christ. God shows us that he is the God who delivers us, and most of all delivers us from sin and death. So when you are delivered, think of it not just as for that moment, and for that particular problem at that moment, but it's pointing to the greater act of deliverance that God has given us in Christ. Psalm 30 calls us to give thanks for God's deliverance. Verse 4 says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Through Jesus Christ, we are among those who are counted as God's people, and we, he gathers us together. He gathers us together as an assembly, as a congregation of his people, and all his people uh, as his people, we are to give thanks. We are to give thanks. God has delivered you who are baptized into Christ and have faith in him. All those ways that he drew you up when you were in danger show that he is your deliverer. 
And now that you are in Christ and now that you belong to him, you can acknowledge that and know that it's God who's done it. It wasn't because of some great ability you had. God has done this for you. And he might use all, he does use all kinds of means to do it, but ultimately it's God. Most of all, he has delivered you from sin and death through Jesus Christ. And, and we confess this, this very act of deliverance in the Nicene Creed, which we will we'll, uh, confess in a minute. Jesus Christ, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. He came down. He didn't stand from afar and shout out directions and give warnings. He came down and stood with us and took on those powers that um, would otherwise destroy us. Our thankful praise completes our response to God. In the psalm, there's a movement back and forth between the psalmist and God, and we can see it in verse 2 of the psalm. The psalmist cries out for help, and God answered by delivering him. Back and forth it goes in the psalm, but it does not stop with God's answer of deliverance. It concludes, the psalm concludes with the psalmist giving thanks to God. The last two verses of the psalm say, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Our response to God's deliverance of us is lacking until until we respond with thanksgiving to him. It's you must have faith. We must respond with repentance. But it's lacking if we don't express our thanksgiving to him. To say nothing after God has delivered you is like being dead. In death, there's silence. If we say nothing to God, we're being silent and not giving thanks to him. And so that's like being dead. In death, there's the silence. If you do not respond with praise and thanksgiving to God, then your answer is silence. You're being like those who go down into Sheol, as the psalm says. Given what God has done for us, why would we not give thanks and praise to God? If you were drowning and someone pulled you out of the water, would you not say thank you to them? Of course you would. And I bet you wouldn't say it once. And I bet every time you thought of that, and every time you saw that person, you'd bring it up again and again. Thank you. How much more should we give thanks to God for his deliverance of us? And we don't just give thanks privately. We stand together to praise God with thankfulness because he hasn't only delivered you, he's delivered all of us. So he brings us together in worship, and a fundamental part of worship is giving thanks. It's just expressing our gratitude to God. That's one of the reasons for our worship in the church. We meet together according to God's word to hear what he has done for our salvation, and we respond by giving thanks and praise to him. We do that with a communion meal. One of the names for the communion meal is the Eucharist. And Protestants tend to shy away from that because it sounds so Catholic and we don't think that's good. But it's a Greek word. It's right there in the New Testament. It means give thanks, to give thanks. So this communion meal is a meal of thanksgiving. It's a meal of gratitude. It's a way of expressing, um, first of all, God feeding us and uh, giving us the gifts we need to live the Christian life. But it's also our response to him as we come and partake of it, of thanksgiving for what he's done. So in our worship service, embedded right in it is this thanksgiving. And with the, with the communion service, and you hear it every week, is the great prayer of thanksgiving. The great prayer of thanksgiving that focuses very quickly on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, all these things. 
And it's, 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 an exp- it's our prayer together to God of thanksgiving for what he's done for us. Thanksgiving is part of what we do, is at the heart of what we do in worship. God has delivered us from sin and death in Jesus Christ. Let us give thanks to his holy name week after week after week forever and ever because there is no greater deliverance that we'll have than his deliverance for us in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O God, who by the glorious resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light, grant that we who have been raised with him may abide in his presence and rejoice in the hope of eternal glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be dominion and praise forever and ever. Amen. Please stand, and as we've heard God's word proclaimed, let us respond with our faith, the confession of faith in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn, as we come to the Lord's table, is number 626, O Lord, by grace delivered.
Apostle Paul that he wrote his letter to the Colossian church. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was arrested, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the Lord's table. He invites us to feast with him. Those who come to this holy meal promise to trust and love and obey him as the Lord of every realm of life and to live in love and concern for each other. It's my privilege as Christ's minister to invite all who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and belong or are identified with some Christian church, you may come to this table. If that is not the case for you, we're glad you're here, but you should stay back until such time that you are visibly joined with Christ's people in those three ways. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for His life for us in Christ and our salvation. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. You lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and grace. It is indeed right, and it is our great joy always and everywhere to give you thanks, Almighty and Eternal Father. And in these days, after the celebration of Christ's resurrection from the dead, we celebrate with joyful hearts the memory of your wonderful works. For you created us in your image, and even though we sinned against you, Jesus Christ, your Son, by the mystery of his passion and the victory of his resurrection, conquered the powers of death and hell and restored in us the image of your glory. Through Jesus, you have placed us once more in paradise and opened to us the gate of life eternal. And so in this joy, in the joy of this Passover, earth and heaven resound with gladness, and all the hosts of heaven and all of creation sing forever the hymn of your glory, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you are holy indeed, you are the source of all holiness. We are not holy without your holiness being granted to us. And you do grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit and according to your will, 
that we may partake and be made right with you to partake of this cup and this bread, and therefore in the communion of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to this meal with faith, the ancient faith of your church, and we say, dying you destroyed our death, rising you restored our life, Lord Jesus, come in glory. And so, Father, calling to mind his death on the cross and his perfect sacrifice made once for the sins of the world, rejoicing in his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension and looking for his coming in glory, we celebrate this memorial of our redemption. As we offer you this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, our offering of praise and thanksgiving, we bring before you this bread and this cup, and we thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May your Holy Spirit be upon your people and gather into one in your kingdom all who share this one bread and one cup, so that we in the company of all your holy people may praise and glorify you forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom and with whom and in whom in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory be yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. And with one voice we offer this, our thanksgiving to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we say together, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. And he did the same with the cup after supper. He said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Take and eat this bread and, remember, and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with thanksgiving and faith. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Blessed Father, your Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread. Open the eyes of our faith that we may see him in all his redeeming work, who is alive and reigns now and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Our final hymn is number 442, Arise, O God.
walk with him in his risen life. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. I call your attention to the insert in the bulletin for some calendar items beginning uh, this morning after our time of refreshment. We will have our Christian education classes today. The Thursday night Bible study has resumed, so that's here at the church. And I think the only other thing that I can think of is to remind you that the Presbytery meets this Saturday, this coming Saturday, in, in Lansing. So, as always, pray for the work of the Presbyters, the, um, that they can um, take care of uh, decisions and um, whatnot that is needful for the church. So, Presbytery meeting Saturday. Jeff will be attending. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to do a little update on the jail ministry. So, um, Terry and Adam are still involved in that, even though they're at different churches. Um, Chaz and I are involved as well. But a lot of it's been falling on um, Terry and Adam. They've been going up there. The interesting, the, the good news is that we're going up there twice a month now instead of just once. So we go up two weeks on a Friday and then the fourth week on a Friday. So keep that in your prayers, and um, we jump in as we can and, and work with that. So uh, there's a lot going on there. And we also have approved something called uh, Celebrate Recovery um, that we're going to start hosting in this church. Session approved that. Um, Amy has been involved in that, leading it um, in other places, and so uh, she's going to be uh, working with that here. And um, anyway, so we'll have a presentation on it in a couple weeks, and she can talk about what they do. Um, I think we're talking about Wednesday evening they would be meeting. Um, So this would be a, a way of trying to help people who've been caught up in addictions and, you know, things like that. So um, be praying about that, and of course, those are that's something new for us. So we've got to kind of you know, move into that, um, and uh, we might see some new people because of it. So that's what's going on. Heidi, he just raised his hand. Don. Thank God for the women of the church. We made sure she got to the hospital in Ann Arbor and uh, uh, stayed with her during her ordeal. Uh, the surgery was scheduled.
way now, obviously, from the result of the biopsies and the lymph nodes. Uh, your continued prayers would be very much appreciated, and I know Julie is in great pain. The only communication I have received from her is that there's a ton of pain. So, thank you all. Heidi. Um, there is going to be my grandson. You found out that Rebecca's having a boy. Oh. I think I think that Daniel is over the moon because he has four sisters. <laughs> <laughs> and on the Tuesday is September twenty second, I believe is the Tuesday. Okay, I'll tell him. I'll tell him. Happy birthday. Actually, <laughs> Jeff Wilson is hoping she goes early because he would like to go mountain climbing. Why not? So quick review for those. I think they could hear that? Okay. In case they couldn't hear Don, uh, Don reported that Julie had successful surgery on Friday for lung cancer, still awaiting results of biopsy. She's in, in significant pain, so pray for her comfort and healing. Um, Rebecca and Daniel Swanson are expecting... A grandson. Jeff is probably already looking for infant-sized hiking boots for the child. So. And then um, Heidi was just thanking uh, Joyce for her biography of uh, Grandma, Heidi's grandma. So. Let's have some refreshment, and then. Be ready for the call. Yes, Barbara. Uh, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, can I just thank the Lord that Michael and Denise are here this morning? Yay! I appreciate everyone's prayers. I'm, I'm doing better. still have some balance issues that I'm working through, but I'm doing much better than I was a week ago, for sure. So did you have a procedure on your inner ear? Okay. So now I to adjust to not having that. Okay. 
All right. Thank you. Okay, let's dismiss.